Welcome to another exciting message from Journey Church, meeting weekly in Northwest Calgary. At Journey Church, we're encountering God and embracing people. church. I guess at the beginning of this week, what we had was called Fool Spring. And what we're in currently is second winter. I don't know if any of you saw this meme this week. There are 14 seasons in Canada, and they include about 13 winters. We're currently at winter number two. So the good news about that is we can praise the Lord that we're done winter one. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm uh, certainly, I've been challenged as I've been studying for this series on Esther, and um, I hope you've been challenged as well. Um, I said the first number of weeks that we were doing this, we like to do a number of expositional series throughout the year, partly because we want to be able to teach and model how we study the Bible, and, and actually that we believe that every single um, book of the Bible, chapter of the Bible is relevant to us today is a useful for our teach for teaching, correcting, rebuking all the things that we need. Now, if you are anything like me, you need a little bit of correction here and there. Yes. Apparently, that's only for me. So, okay. Well, uh, this. Uh, it, so, for the first, if you haven't been here for the first couple of weeks, or this is your first week here, I'm going to give you a little bit of Cole's notes for the first the last couple of weeks. The first week in Esther. Um, we talked about Esther chapter 1, and we talked really about the limitations of power. I talked to you about Xerxes, the king, the historical king Xerxes, who's talked about in this book, and how he was basically a rotten person, and uh, you wouldn't want to meet him in any alley anywhere ever. And he is um, basically doing Persia Bachelorette edition, and, um, and it's scandalous, really. If you read the subtext of this book, the whole book starts off very scandalously because essentially Xerxes is having a sex competition for who he's going to pick for his next wife. And if that disturbs you, don't take that up with me. Take that up with the Lord because he put it in the Bible. You're welcome. And, uh, and then so, so then we, we, and we talked a little about, about this, how the world is filled with people who are power hungry. And if we are not careful, we also become part and parcel of that. And how we like to sometimes distance ourselves from characters like Xerxes, like they are the bad people, but we are the good people, when in fact, if we are honest, there's parts of all of us that strive for power, that grapple for power. And so if you want to listen to that, that's week two, Esther chapter. Then we, then we moved on to chapter two, and we talked about um, how Esther and Mordecai had weak faith. They were afraid to tell anybody, like, well, I'm Jewish. They didn't tell anybody. And they, in fact, were disobedient to the Lord and did not follow God when he said, everybody back to Jerusalem. They thought, now nah, we're going to stay where the party is because there's gold couches here. And so they're weak and they're weak-minded. And often uh, the book of Esther is not preached this way. It's often preached like Esther was a beautiful woman who prayed and who spent a lot of time. She, she, and really the scripture doesn't say that at all. 
And we actually have to read what the, we cannot read what we want to read in scripture. We actually have to read what's there, and what's there is that Esther just followed Mordecai and kept quiet about her faith and uh, didn't follow the customs and laws that she was supposed to follow. So, but then we see towards the end of Esther chapter 2, and we talked about this a little bit last week, that Mordecai had this hinge moment, a moment where he did the right thing, regardless of what it cost him. And we talked about how hinge moments can change the trajectory of our lives, these hinge moments, seemingly small little places in our lives, but that change the purpose and the direction of our lives and how God is always placing us in these hinge kind of moments. And then we talked a little bit on the backside of that, talking about Haman, who was a villain in every sense of the world, where he had a plot to kill the Jews. And by the way, let me just speak to this for a second. This is a plot that has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. Um, God, we believe that the Jewish people are God's chosen people, and that hasn't changed with the new covenant. It's not like we don't believe in replacement theology, that but now the church has replaced Israel. We believe that Israel is our, our God's chosen people. And in this day and age, there is a rise of anti-Semitism. Can I just say publicly that we don't stand for that? We don't believe in that. We, we just believe that, that what God has spoken is going to come to pass. And we need to stand against that kind of stuff. We need to actually publicly say we are against that. Now this, and this bleeds out, I, I believe that this is a, this is a principle-based thing. This bleeds out into every kind of person. So while we stand against anti-Semitism, we stand against racism of any kind, we stand against any kind of un, the indignity of any people. And, and it means, church, that we got to be vocal about things like this. For a long time in history, the church has always been the last person, the last people to come to the plate. It's why you see what happened in World War II happen in a Christian, in a supposedly Christian nation. But I believe we have to keep calling ourselves back to this, that the dignity of all people matter, that the, that the life breath, the very fact that people have life breath inside of them tells us that they're called of God, that they're chosen of God, that they're God's children. And, and we got to get courage in these days, courage in these days to square our shoulders back and say, we're going to do the right thing. And um, well, that was for free. Okay, so Esther chapter 4. Uh, I've entitled this uh, this. Uh, talk today the awakening because i think esther chapter 4 really really shows us an awakening of the characters in a really profound and powerful way if you have your bibles we're going to read uh, esther chapter 4 in its entirety it says this when mordecai learned all that had been done so all that had all that haman had planned to kill the jews um, he tore his clothes put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly but he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews. With fasting, weeping, and wailing, many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he wouldn't accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact number amount of money that Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show Esther and explain it to her. 
And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and all the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, uh, the king has but one law, that they be put to death. Now listen, if you didn't study Esther chapter 1 and how awful Xerxes was, you would think, yeah, right. Like, come on, you're his wife. But because we've studied Esther chapter 1, we know that Xerxes was a terrible person. And he would actually do this. This is why it's important to study the whole counsel of God. You can't just cherry pick one chapter. Because I think if you read it like that, you go, yeah, well, maybe not. Esther's just being weak. Okay, so we know that this is true, that they'd be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and also spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Don't think that because you're in the king's house and you alone of all the, that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. I want to make a few observations about this text before, I, uh, before we apply it to our lives. I want you to see that in this chapter that Mordecai awakens. He awakens from a spiritual slumber and aligns himself with the people of God. We know that because up until chapter 4, Mordecai still like... Don't tell anybody, Esther. Don't tell anybody we're Jewish because this is going to be a problem. And then in Esther chapter 4, we see that Haman has this edict. And what does Mordecai do? He tears his clothes. He puts on sackcloth and ashes. And he goes into the city and wails bitterly. Now, I think when we read this, oftentimes, here's what we read. Oh, yeah, that was really common back then. People often tore their clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes just to, for something to do on a Friday night. Very normal. If you're trying to hide the fact that you're Jewish, that you're a religious person, I'm going to tell you what you're not going to do. You're not tearing your clothes. You're not putting on sackcloth. I actually thought to myself I was going to do like something, uh, what do you call that, an object lesson? But I knew it would turn into a wardrobe malfunction, <laughs> so I decided against it. You can all be thankful for that, but I was going to get some sackcloth, and then I thought that it would be itchy the entire time I had it on, which some of you might have been happy for because it would have meant that I was shorter. But anyways, the point being sackcloth and ashes was not something that like you just got up and went, I'm having a bad day. I think I'm going to put on sackcloth and ashes. My wife is driving me crazy. Sackcloth and ashes. My kids are teenagers. Sackcloth and ashes. This was a big deal to do this. And he right away identified himself as being Jewish. All of a sudden, he's out of uh, uh, hiding. His, he's no longer hiding who he is. He's no longer hiding that he's one of God's chosen people. So we see that, in, that there is progress. Now, this should bring us a little bit of hope. Because some of you, your faith has been weak for a long time. 
And only you can know this. I mean, you can fake it till you make it and, or pretend to fake it, till, but you know in your heart if your, fakes, your faith has been weak. The story of Mordecai gives us hope that in four chapters, he goes from being a weakling to being someone who's like right there. Okay, the second thing I want us to observe is this, is that Mordecai allows himself to grieve a terrible situation. Middle Eastern, ancient Middle Eastern culture, it was normal and natural to grieve something, to like weep and to wail and to grieve. I, I want to suggest this morning that in Western society, what we have is, oh, I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. I'm really fine. And then we wonder why we have a preponderance towards major, a major mental health crisis. Because you can only cork something for so long till then it explodes and becomes something that you never intended for it to be. The book of Esther calls us back again to be very real with who we are and where we are. Some of you have gone through uh, death in your family and it's a very, I mean, it's a natural course of living. We're all going to die. But we actually need to learn and prepare ourselves to grieve those kinds of things and to grieve them loudly and longly and and it's and it's good to do that third thing we see is that um the act of fasting is highlighted and um so i i've been telling you for a couple weeks that there's no prayer mentioned in the book of esther and it is true there is the word prayer is not mentioned but anytime in the old testament you talk about fasting there is this idea that fasting and prayer were very much connected um and it's a little bit of a funny thing, too, because I think this is, again, where we get, like, we have the heresy of saintizing the biblical characters. So we think, oh, that was really easy because, like, people who lived in the long time ago, they didn't really eat too much of good things. So it was really easy for them to fast. In fact, they liked not eating. It's really easy. They were doing that all the time. They didn't have McDonald's then of which I am what is termed a frequent user. They also didn't have TV, because you ever notice this when you're trying to fast or something? Like the Burger King always has, it's always Burger King, I don't know why. It's always Burger King, they've got like some chicken parmesan, and you never go to Burger King, there's only like three in the entire city. But you're watching it, where is Burger King? I need to get to Burger King now. Anyways, that's just me. Okay, so, um, Mordecai is fasting, and he's weeping. And Esther says, okay, the, th the first thing she says is not like, let's make up a plan. She said, okay, we're, get, get everybody to fast. Get everybody to fast. And this idea that when we run into trouble, that we would fast must become part of our DNA as men and women of God. So, some of us, we, we go to worry right away. We go to the worst case scenario. Some, I know some of you were at Costco this week, stocking up on toilet paper, and you're helping the Campbell's soup uh, stock go up because you've bought all that chicken because you're worried. If you're honest, you're worried about the coronavirus. It's okay if you are. Just look down right now. We're not judging you. I will say, though, I, and some of you are preparers. Some of you are doctors, so you know more than us. So... If you have to, if you're a doctor in this place today and you've stocked up on toilet paper, please come tell me, because I will follow your lead. But anyways, um, we we must though learn to go to prayer first. 
that, that fasting is not like a last option, like the last option we do. Well, then I guess everything's going, to, everything's going away, so I guess I'm going to fast. It's got to be the first thing that we just choose to do. And, and this, is, um, this is nonsensical in a world that wants logic to everything. But I, I want to call us back that we are not just people of the natural world, but we're people who believe in a supernatural God. And so while uh, saying no to that cheeseburger might not change your situation in the natural, I believe that it has great power in the supernatural. Okay, so the act of fasting, it's highlighted a number of times in this, in this chapter. I would encourage you, if we had more time, you go through it and do a little bit of a study on it. Um, and then I want you to see this, and we're going to talk about this in the minute. In the minute, in the midst of grieving, though, so Mordecai is grieving. He's tearing his clothes. He's wailing and weeping bitterly. But in the middle of that, here's what he says. He says, Esther, if you don't do it, God's going to send somebody else to do it. For a lot of us, that seems like incongruence. Because, you know, normally when I'm weeping and wailing, okay, so this is just me. Might not be you. But, like, it's more like, um, nothing's ever going to work out. Everybody hates me. I, none of you do this, I know, just me, okay? So, but we don't usually pair grieving and hope together. And yet the book of Esther does. Mordecai grieves and he hopes all at once. I mean, to say to Esther, the only hope, Esther hey, you might not do this, you might not go through this plan. Uh, like what I would be prone to say is like, Esther, if you don't do it, we're all going to die, and it's going to be on you. It's going to be your fault, your legacy. You don't do it, it's on you. But he doesn't say that. If you don't do it, that's fine. Don't think you're, you're going to live, though. You're, you're definitely going to die. He does get a little bit of a jab in there. But then he says, but God's going to deliver us some other way. Hope and grieving mingled together. This is what the people of God look like. This is why, listen, the Bible doesn't call us to be people who are like, like if you're in a hard spot, everything's great. Jesus is great. It's great. He doesn't, the Bible doesn't call us. It calls us to grieve and to mourn and to will, but yet have hope, and that's what makes us different. It, it, it doesn't call us to be like... Uh, non-vulnerable plastic people. It calls us to be real people who hope. There's so much uh, relief in that. You don't actually have to fake it. Isn't that good? We don't have to go around faking it and pretending we're all good if we're not. But conversely, there's two sides of ditch to every truth. Sometimes we get a hold of this, well, I'm just called to be real, just like the Lord has called me. I guess everything's terrible. It's always going to be terrible. The Bible doesn't call us to be without hope either. We're called to have both. Okay, so, and then Esther, I want you to see this. Esther begins with a tentative posture. And I want to suggest, so Mordecai's uh, out there weeping and wailing. What does she do? She brings him clothes because she has clothes because she's got people now. She was like a little, a little orphan girl, but now she got people. She's got a eunuch for herself. She's got an entourage, and she brings him clothes. Sometimes when we're comfortable, it's easy to get comfortable with our comfort. 
and it's more uncomfortable to lean up against people who were where we were. When we pastored in the inner city, we would find this a lot. We would um, see kids that would come to Jesus, and uh, God would do amazing things in their life, and they would say to you, like, no, I know you need people here, but I'm never coming back, because I don't want to look at that in the face again. And some of you, I want to suggest today, have come from places. God's brought you from places. But if you're honest, you don't want to go back and look at the pain. You don't want to go back because it's uncomfortable, because we get comfortable in our comfort. And Esther, this is a, a, a real-life example of somebody who got power but didn't know they had power. And you see this in her response to Mordecai. I think many of us living in the Western world right now have power, unacknowledged power that we live with all the time. So we see famines happening on the TV and we think, well, I, probably, I couldn't do anything about that. Oh, switch the channel. You know, you ever done that before? It's like talking about something really hard or you're watching the news and it's hard and terrible and you think, I don't, I don't want to know about that crisis in Syria. Like, put it away from me. We very easily become comfortable with our comfort levels. And you see this in Esther chapter 4. She's like just trying to like, come on, Mordecai, get over it. Like, I don't know what you're crying about. Just put on some nice clothes and like be regular. And some of us, we've called our friends to do that. We've been like Esther, calling our friends. So come on, like just get over it. Get, forget it. And then I want, I want you to see what Mordecai does, though. Mordecai explains the situation, and then Esther comes to the plate. Uh, some of us, we are Mordecai, and we have gone to people like Esther, and we're mad. Because they basically just said, like, get over it. Come on now. I want you to see what Mordecai does, though. He doesn't expect Esther to know what's going on. Some of us have expected people to know what's going on in our hearts. And we've been bitter. We've, hold, we've held grudges. Because you, you said you were my friend. You should have known. You should have known I was in pain. I've had people say to me, and not here, so you can all breathe a sigh of relief. I'm not talking to your neighbor. How come you didn't come pray for me when I was sick? I didn't know you were sick. How come the Holy Spirit didn't tell you? Take my pastor badge away from me. We, we have false expectations of each other, though. Uh, spouses, let me speak to you for a second. Sometimes you have false expectations of your spouse. You haven't told them what the problem is. You're trying, to, you're trying to put clothes on them, and they're saying no, but you haven't told them what the problem is. Many of the misunderstandings that happen in church contexts, or in any context for that matter, are because we actually haven't communicated very clearly to one another. And I, I love this text, what Mordecai, so Esther's trying to give him clothes. He's saying, no, I'm not putting on your clothes. But he doesn't get mad. Here's what he said. Mordecai told Hathak, so Esther's eunuch, everything that had happened to him. Some of you need to have one of those kind of moments. You need to have an everything moment where you tell someone everything that's been happening to you, which will explain then your response. Some of you are having what seems like a really wild emotional response, and people can't... It feels like people are not responding to you in the way that you want them to respond to you. It could be that you have not explained everything that has happened to you, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation. I was reading this, and I was thinking, some of you, this is like joy to your heart because you're, you're like very organized people. You're people that have all, and I just, 
I was in awe that he actually had a, te- he had a copy of the edict to give. Because if you know me, I never have anything like that. <laughs> it's just in my heart. But this is why we got to be prepared people. If you're having, if you're having a, an emotional problem with somebody, I want to call you back to this text for a minute. Perhaps you're just relating to an Esther, and you think she knows because she's the queen. She should know. But she has no clue what's going on. Some of you, are ha- you had a fight on the way to church this morning, and I'm probably not even speaking prophetically right now, just it snowed this morning. and Some of you had a fight on the way to church this morning, and, and your fight really is that you haven't brought all the information that needed to be brought. So I'm going to suggest that today when you go out for lunch, you do a little bit of that unpacking of information. Okay, so here's our takeaways this morning. Uh, the first thing is this. I, I think we need to wake up from our slumber. I think this chapter calls us to wake up from our slumber. Both Esther and Mordecai woke. It's like they came alive to who they were. And um, the, the Bible talks about this a lot um, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you do a study on the words asleep, you'll be reading for a long time. There's lots of verses but particularly in the New Testament, there's these verses that talk, Ephesians chapter 5, 14, I just want to read a few. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Listen, this is talking to Christians. So you can know Jesus and be totally asleep, like sleepwalking. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The insinuation in this scripture is that when we are asleep, we do don't make the most of every opportunity. We don't actually lean into the things of God. Um, Revelation 3.2 says, Wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die. That's a little bit of a scary scripture. That you can be sleeping for so long. The parts of your heart, parts of the things God's called you to, can die. This is why people have dreams. Oftentimes, you'll talk to kids in youth groups and young adult groups, and you'll say to them, what's your dream? And they'll, you you know, do this experiment. Talk to the young people what their dreams are. They'll have big dreams for God. But the question is, what happens between the time they're 16 and the time they're 60? Often those dreams die, and I think that's because we go to sleep. We go to sleep. Uh, And... Then Romans 13 says, and do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. I believe this is a prophetic call to the entire church that we would wake up, that we'd wake up, that we would say, God, I I, want to be fully alive and fully awake to the things of you. Understand this, that both Esther and Mordecai were still children of God in in Esther chapter 1, 2, 3, but only in Esther chapter 4 did they come awake enough to impact the world. So how do we determine if we're sleeping? Okay, the, fir- the first thing is this. We're not aligned with the people of God. So you see this in, in Esther. Both Mordecai and Esther were not aligned with the people of God. It was only when they woke up that they said, call everybody. Uh, there is a, a, a condition called individualism in our society that calls us to not be corporately aligned with the people of God, to just think about our relationship with Jesus as between us, us and him, but that's never scriptural. It, it's always scriptural that we would be worried about our relationship, our vertical relationship with God, and then our horizontal relationship with each other. That's why it's not good enough to just come and sit on a chair, although we're glad you're sitting on a chair. I, I want to call you to something different, though, because I think we become alive. We wake up when we align ourselves with the things of God. 
And we can do more together than we can just as individuals. Um, we, we know we're asleep if we're not passionate about the things of God. So when was the last time you got passionate? And I don't know how you get passionate. Like some of you, I get passionate and it's not, a, no one's like, oh, are you passionate about that? Didn't notice. But some of you, the way that you get passionate is inside. It's internal. So this is not about external um, physicalities. This is about, you know, your heart. When your heart is skipping a beat for the things of God, where you think, wasn't it amazing last week that we had this baptism and people who didn't know Jesus are now making a decision? Kids are coming and making that decision. These are not small things. We, we got to get in. This makes me afraid. The golf clap made me afraid. <laughs> By the way, we're having another baptism on Easter Sunday morning. So if you're here and you've never been baptized, we've got a number of people that want to be baptized. And we're going to have the microphone up in the, up in the ceiling so no one has to come afraid that day. There are angels here, though. We do know that now. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, so we, we need to be passionate about the things of God. You know that um, you're asleep when you've lived in disobedience so long that it no longer seems like disobedience. Where you read the scriptures and you go, wow, that's not, that doesn't really apply to me. And you make excuses. And I don't have to go through the list of sins. We all know, listen. There's no need, like someone said to me, how come you don't preach more hard on sin? Because generally, when we go home, and you know when you sin, you know you've sinned. Okay, so, but sometimes we've lived in disobedience for so long that it no longer seems like disobedience, and we've done a really good job at um, making an excuse. And, and then also, I, I think we're asleep when we're not continually addressing or accounting for the power we've been given. It's particularly important. This is a particularly important for Christians who live in the first world. We will be held accountable with the power that God gave us. And I think that that scripture in Esther, I know some of you are right now like, I have no power. I don't even know what you're talking about. I can barely pay my rent this month. I want to tell you the very fact that you got here today tells me that you have power. And we must continually address that and account for that and, and, and lean into that and say, God, how can I use my power for your kingdom? Because who knows but that God has put you here for such a time as this. Okay, so how did the characters wake up from their slumber? Like, how, if you're asleep, we were laughing last night because Dave couldn't sleep because there was uh, helicopters. Like, I don't, know, I don't know what they were trying to do, but they were trying. Dave can't sleep. When the babies were small, when our four babies were small, I'm going to tell you that. I love our babies, but I don't hear crying at night. I don't hear anything. If you call me in the middle of the night with a real bad situation, I'd like to tell you I'm going to be praying for you. But I'd be lying because what I do at night is sleep. You all look like horrified right now. Like, you wouldn't pray for me? But Dave, see, this is why it's good you got two pastors because Dave wakes up to every kind of sound every kind of rustling of bushes. We have a weasel living under our porch right now. I believe Dave has woken up when the weasel came out. Like he, you breathe, he wakes up. I'm telling you all this to text him at night. If you want the Lord to work on your, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I'm not actually kidding because I actually am sleeping, but... Okay, so this is the question I had when I read, how did these people wake up from their slumber? Like, how did they just decide one day, 
I'm going to be dead. I'm going to be walking around, and now I'm awake. And I think there are two, there are two ways that they woke up. The first one is suffering. Mordecai actually came into a season of suffering, like real suffering, like he was going to be murdered by a crazy king and his crazy people, and we know from history that they were crazy, so like he had impending doom on his life. Psalm 119.71 says it this way, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. For a long time, I hated that verse. It was, it was good for me to be, like, in what context? It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your degree, decrees. Could it be that the suffering that you are currently facing is a wake-up call to tie yourself more tightly to the things and the people of God? And the suffering that you're facing right now, maybe what you want to do is just pretend that it's either not there or like you want to get in the, I, I, I want to, could it be that the suffering that you're facing right now, and it's probably not that somebody's going to be coming and taking you down, but could it be that the uncomfort, that the discomfort you're feeling right now could be the very catalyst to your waking up? And, and, and this means that we count it all joy whenever we face trials and temptations of any kind because we know that it leads to perseverance and that perseverance leads to hope. So this is why the Christian response to trials has got to be different than that of the world. This is where the Christian response to things not going right could be, God, maybe this is keeping me awake. Maybe the nightfall is coming and my eyes are getting heavy. And this is somehow keeping me awake. Some of my uh, most powerful prayer times in my life have been where I felt the heaviest where I couldn't sleep. Like some of you have insomnia and you, you've had a hard time sleeping. Could that be a gift from God to become a prayer warrior? Now, I'm not saying we don't pray for insomnia. So, so get the, let's have the theology straight here. We're not praying for trials. We're not praying for heartache. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. We know this. But we do know theologically that God uses everything that comes into our lives. And so that's why we don't give up. We don't say, well, God, you must not be here because I'm facing this. Mordecai's about to get slaughtered, and all of a sudden, he's like, here I am, God, here I am. And some of you just need some of those moments where you just say, instead of being in the fetal position, lift yourself up off the fetal position and say, God, here I am. I might be mourning, I might be grieving, but here I am. Wake me up to the things of you. Lots of times we don't like things in our lives either. Can I just speak to this for a second? Like, like maybe you think, like, I want to go back to the way it was 10 years ago, or I wish my small group was a bit different than it was. Hey, that, that could be a wake-up call to have you wake up. Wake up. So, so that way we can say, who cares that everything's not the same? Who cares that I'm not as comfortable? The discomfort keeps me awake. The discomfort keeps me tied into the things of God. Frederick Robertson said it this way, Never does a man know the force that is in him till some mighty affection or grief has humanized the soul. Some of you are just being humanized right now. You're being humanized. And, it, and to be human means that we need God. It means that we rely on God. Okay, so we wake up by suffering. Now, I was thinking to the Lord, not every time I've come awake has it been because of suffering. And I think in the case of Esther, it probably wasn't. Esther woke up by listening to others, specifically to Mordecai. 
She noticed the people around her in sackcloth and ashes. And sometimes we wake up when we notice other people's pain. Sometimes we wake up when we recognize that the world is not just about us. This is why the church is so important. This is why it's not good enough for us to just have four people who have basically the same kind of life as us. We need people who have different lives, different experiences, different pain, different suffering. We actually have to have people that are in sackcloth and ashes amongst us because it keeps us awake. It keeps us listening. It keeps us asking questions. And it keeps us leaning in to other people's pain. This is why serving is such an important part of the Christian life. We don't just serve so that we get golden stars from God. Do you recognize this? That God doesn't love you more because you served at the soup kitchen this week. He doesn't say, well, that's one of my favorites down there. I'm going to give them a little bit of an extra check in the mail this week. Good job. God is not like a parent giving you an allowance. This is not the theology we believe. What serving does do, though, is it keeps us awake. When, when the devil wants you to go to sleep, the devil's greatest, the greatest trick is to get you sleeping, is to get you spiritually sleeping, saying God is... That's his great... And, and for some of you, he's ployed you into that ploy for 10, 20, 30 years. You're asleep at the wheel. Wake up. Part of the way we wake up is serving other people's pain. When we truly wake up, we begin to see that God's been placing us in situations and places and using it for such a time as this. I, I want to just speak to this too. I think the other thing this chapter calls us to do is get in alignment with one another. You will never be able to sustain weakness and trials without togetherness. Here's how I know this is true. So Esther chapter 4, Esther and Mordecai, Mordecai's in sackcloth and ashes, he's crying, and Esther says, what can I do? And he says, go to the king. Do you notice she doesn't say, okay, then I'll do that, because I'm the queen of everything and everyone, because she really was. It's like she's the most powerful woman on the planet at that time. She wasn't just some orphan girl anymore. She is now the second most powerful person on the planet. But what does she do? She calls for all the people of God to fast and to pray. I want to tell you that there are going to be times in your life where you're going to have to have people that you can call on, not just, not just your uncle. You're going to have to have people, which is why this community matters. Because if nobody knows your story, who are the people that you're going to call on? And the question that I have for all of us today, where if you were to be up between a rock and a hard place, who would you call on? Who are the people that you'd call on? Who are the people that you'd get to fast and pray on your behalf? If you're only fasting and praying, by the way, on your own behalf, I'm going to challenge your idea of prayer and fasting. If the only time you ever fast is when you have a mortgage to pay and it's the end of the month and you don't have the money, who are you fasting and praying on their behalf? Whose, li whose life have you opened yourself up to? We've got to get in alignment with one another. There's something good about sharing our struggles with others because it does lighten our load. But I want to tell you that sharing our struggles with others preaches well, but it's hard to do because it requires vulnerability and it requires courage. So Esther and Mordecai have kept, I, I thought about this a lot this week. I actually woke up on Thursday morning really thinking about this. They, they, they have kept their faith a secret for a long time, ostensibly all of Esther's life because nobody knows she's Jewish. She lives with Mordecai, so everybody knows, nobody, nobody knows. And then all of a sudden, 
They're going to get everybody. Do you know how much fear would have been involved with that? Like, how do you think Esther had that conversation with her eunuchs and her people? Okay, so I just want to tell you this small thing that I've never told you about myself before. Like, how do you think she felt 20 minutes before? You know when you got to tell somebody something that you haven't told them and you're like, I get extraordinarily, like I'm sweating and I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, like if I could have a wardrobe changed before this. Esther would have felt this in this moment and yet she did it. And yet she told everybody. And yet then, then she could call everybody. Some of you need to have, uh, ask God for a mustard seed of courage. You've been hurt in church before. You've been hurt in community. So you've never really uh, shared your life. I want to call you, I, I want us to, to be the kind of people that call each other. This is how we see miracles. This is, this is we, we want to be a house of miracles, yes? Do you want to go to a church where miracles happen? I do. But that will not happen unless we are vulnerable with one another, unless we call each other to more community, unless we call each other to truth-telling. It takes courage. And it's a little more quiet now in here. That's, okay, listen, I, I'm going to tell you. I can share what, I, 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 people will always say, oh, you, you can share your life. Yeah, but I, I have the microphone, so I can share what I want to share here, right? But I'm fairly private. Like, a lot of my friends will say, like, you're kind of secretive. Like, we don't know. I don't mean to be. So I, this is something that I'm preaching at myself, that I have to learn with my group. Now, I'm not saying that you got to learn with 500 people to be vulnerable with them. But get people. Ask yourself the question, who's praying and fasting on my behalf? If the answer is nobody, I'm going to suggest that we all, we got to do a little bit of work. Okay. And the last thing is this. There's hope in the midst of grief and struggle. We talked about this. I want to just read you this scripture, though, again. Esther, Mordecai, in the middle of his great grief, he's still able to say to Esther, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. That our God is always a God of hope. Always the God of hope, no matter what you're feeling today. I just felt like somebody needs to hear this, that there's hope on the other side of whatever you're dealing with today. There's hope. There's joy on the other side. And if the way that you think it's going to happen doesn't happen, it's okay. You can still hold on to hope that if a deliverance doesn't come from this way, God will send it another way because he's in the habit of delivering his children. So here, here are the questions that I want us to answer today. First question is this, am I living awake or asleep? If you were to do an audit on your spiritual life today, are you living awake or asleep? Second question is this, am I trying to do life on my own or do I have a tribe that I can call on? Now, I, a lot of us have tribes. You've, like if you're a hockey parent here, you've got your hockey tribe and I'm not talking about just like you have friends that you could like go out for a drink with. I'm saying, do you have people that will rush heaven's gates for you? That will call out to God for you? That will spend time on your behalf? So, so we all need friends like that. We all, you know, we need all kinds of friends, but we do need spiritual friends that will lean into things when, when we're in trouble. And the last question is this, am I trust, trusting in the midst of struggle? Am I trusting God in the midst of struggle? 
can you say that even if deliverance doesn't come the way that I think it's going to come, maybe you're looking for a promotion and that's the deliverance. Could you say with great faith today that even if deliverance doesn't come from that way, God will raise up a deliverer for me. That's the kind of hope God wants to call us to, to believe that he is the great I am. He's Jehovah Jireh, not just in the rear view, but in the front view. We talk about the faithfulness of God, and so this is where I think we tether ourselves to the faithfulness of God, that God all of our lives has been faithful. He's found a way. He's found you wherever you were. He picked you up. And the faithfulness of God is really important when we're actually trusting God in the middle of struggle. We just remember that he's been faithful to us a hundred times over, and this is why we need each other, because sometimes if you're anything like me, we talk about the faithfulness of God, if I'm in a really bad spot, I get to thinking like this, well, I don't really know, like, I don't know what God, you just, you know, you get a little bit down in the dumps, anybody else get there, you just get a little bit like, I don't know really, like, that could have just been because I was really good at my job that I got that promotion, and I don't know if God's really, like, I, this is why we need each other, because you're going to come to me, or you're going to come to your friend over there, and they're going to remind you look look where we are today like even just the story of our church is a sign of God's faithfulness he's faithful and your friend who might not be between a rock and hard place is going to be able to shout out all the things God's been faithful so can I call you to stand this morning all across this house would you just close your eyes just for a minute and just these questions I'm just going to ask you to just have a moment with God Am I awake or asleep? Am I trying to do life on my own or with the tribe? And am I trusting in the middle of the struggle? And as God speaks to you, would you just uh, call out to him today? Say, God, if you're, if you're needing a tribe of people, just say, God, would you send me friends, spiritual friends that are going to inject life into me, that are going to challenge me? If you're asleep today, would you just say, God, help me to embrace the struggle that I might be facing? Help me to listen to others. Help me to serve well. And finally, if you're having trouble trusting in the midst of struggle, I'm just going to ask that you'd say, Lord, show me where you've been faithful so that I can trust you, continue to trust you. So Jesus, for all my friends here today, I pray that you would give them the courage now to hear you, Holy Spirit, to hear your words. And Jesus, we thank you that you're moving on the inside of us so that we can be changed and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So maybe you're here and you're... Just keep your heads bowed as we continue praying. Thanks for listening to us today. For more information about who we are, head over to myjourney.church or look for us on your favorite social media outlet.